Good morning, church. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Mark's gospel in chapter 4 in just a moment. Uh, Let me just remind you a couple things you heard. A lot of things happening for Easter, uh, so we would love for you to be connected with those. There's information in your guide. Uh, You can go online to the church's website at myrivertree.org and also get more information regarding Easter services from uh, the worship event on Wednesday prior uh, to the Easter egg hunt that we'll have for the community uh, on the property at the main campus and how people can sign up even today uh, to be involved in that and help volunteer. And then the multiple services on Easter. Uh, we're adding an earlier service at 745 uh, and then as well as the River Tree South services. We're hoping that a lot of people will come and be part of those services. So if you're at, it, even if you're at Maine, uh, notice that there'll be a lot of people that will be coming uh, on Easter. It's that Sunday that we see our highest attendance and the largest gathering uh, through the course of the year. And so if you're at Maine and able to Uh, come to that 745 earlier service or even at Maine and able to come and worship with those gathered at River Tree South. Uh, That'll just help us as as we're thinking about all of what's going to be going on in that Easter weekend. Uh, Excited for you to meet Josh today. Uh, Do see him after the service or Joy at Maine. Uh, I got to be on that Nepal trip a year and a half ago. Uh, It was amazing. Uh, Really life-changing. I would love for you to hear more of the stories uh, that they can tell, tell you out of those experiences of people going and seeing what God is doing in other places in the world. And I love that because sometimes, sometimes the things that God is doing at large uh, can be hidden to us. Like we just may not know. Sometimes our lives get very uh, kind of microscopic of just what's happening in my home, in my realm. How can God deal with my issues? And there are moments where God begins to point us to other things, even larger things that he's doing. It has a way of elevating our perspective and, and encouraging our hearts. And so talking to Josh or Joy this morning will surely do that for you if you have a chance at the end of the service. And finally, let me highlight just something that you can be praying about even this morning as we make our way through the service today, that Southside Baptist Church, uh, we've been talking about the opportunity uh, to to partner with Southside, to adopt them into River Tree and for uh, their campus and ministries to continue uh, under River Tree's kind of mission and vision and leadership moving forward. It's something that our church is going to be continue to be working on and thinking through and praying about over the next couple weeks, but Southside is uh, their vote to move forward in that is today. So this morning, while we're gathered here worshiping in God's word, uh, our brothers and sisters at Southside will be uh, discerning the Lord's will and and doing some things in in some some formal ways and with some finality uh, on what they believe God is doing there uh, and the opportunity to become part of River Tree. So be praying for them today. Uh, They will likely know more. before the day is finished uh, about what God is doing and how he may be bringing our churches together to do something even greater uh, and even more special in the city. Last week we were in Mark chapter 4 and we covered a parable that maybe you've heard before, uh, maybe you haven't, but it's this parable called the parable of the, of the sower um, and we, or, or of the soils. And so within this parable, Jesus tells a story about a farmer that goes out and sows seed. And as he does, the seed falls on different kinds of soil. There's this hard path soil. Uh, there is the soil that's shallow. Uh, there's a soil that's filled with other thorns. And there's, there's the good soil, kind of the receptive soil that's fruitful and produces. And so we, we talked about those soils. And what Jesus is saying is there is something important on how we receive what he says. 
that when the word goes out, and I love this within the parable, it seems that the sower is generous. When you, when you think about strategically sowing seed, farmers in this area would have certainly been more thoughtful about where they sowed seed, how they sowed seed, that they didn't let any of it go to waste. But in Jesus' parable about the farmer and the sower, you see him broadcasting seed everywhere. And it's falling in hard places, shallow places, thorny places, and even, even in good soil. But Jesus would say this, it's, how are you hearing and how are you listening and are you perceiving, are you understanding, are you taking the things that, are, that Jesus is saying about himself, about the kingdom of God, about life, about you, about how this world was meant to be designed and work, are you hearing those things and are you taking them in? Are, 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 you, are you allowing them to kind of move from maybe head knowledge and concepts to something that's deeper in your heart? Are, are you responding? Is your life moving in response to the things that you're hearing and listening? And so Jesus talks about that in this opening parable of Mark chapter four. And then he begins to move into a couple other illustrations, one about a lamp or a light, and then two more seed parables. And so I wanna look at those this morning. And again, as Jesus is building through Mark's gospel on this idea of, of the seed, of not only how we, how we hear it, how we understand it and what we do with it, but the seed itself has incredible power. And, and so Jesus is gonna to continue to teach uh, the audience and the disciples a little bit more here. So look with me, Mark chapter four. Jesus said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So you have Jesus talking about this lamp and this light and then you have this almost cryptic thing. It's, it's curious what Jesus is saying about this idea of, you know, the measure that you use will be measured unto you. You know, what you have, you'll be given more. And whoever does not have, even that will be taken from you. Okay, so we're going to talk about what that means as we move into these, this next section of Scripture. But Jesus is talking about this moment that he's declaring within his ministry, within that current context of Jesus speaking to the audience, that something is happening. That the kingdom of God the way God works, things that have been a mystery, maybe hidden, maybe secret, things that were not known before, that Jesus is speaking those things so that you might have greater insight, greater understanding, a greater opportunity to believe what God is doing. That there's this opportunity now for things to be understood when they weren't understandable before. There's now an opportunity for things that were private or maybe only for a few to be broadly known to the public for a greater disclosure to happen. Uh, it's been a while, but I can remember a moment that was a particular Sunday where we had an incident with one of these microphones. Now, I, I put mine on and I end up walking around and saying hello to some of you or walking down the hallway or, or even walking into the bathroom. And it's usually in the bathroom that somebody will say, hey, is, um, is, is that thing on right now? Like, do you, you need to make sure you, you turn that off. And I typically tell them, you know, I typically leave it on and I just trust that the soundboard, the technicians for the day, you know, they've got me on mute. I, I, I just trust them with that. 
Well, it was one of these Sundays where we had more than just myself up on stage teaching, but Will Taylor was also teaching with me, one of our elders. And so I had my normal headset, but Will used a different microphone, one that our worship team uses a lot to kind of talk during the service to one another about cues and timing and what the next song is. And so it was a, it was a microphone that was on kind of a, a separate worship channel. And so as Will and I are taking a break between services, uh, there's something that begins to happen and, and it's with Will's microphone. And Will is in the bathroom having a conversation with somebody and the service begins to start and the worship team, Stephen Burnett, begins to lead the worship service. But in everybody's ear on the worship team, they can hear Will Taylor having a conversation in the bathroom. So Stephen's greeting, starting at the first song, everybody's working on their music and all they can do is hear, uh, you know, the activity of the restroom coming into their ears. There's, there's a moment when Jesus talks about this idea of the lamp that, that lends itself to this idea that you, you wear a microphone so that you can be uh, more greatly heard, so that others can hear that what was said quietly or softly has a chance to be heard by the greater public. And so Jesus would say, you don't put on a microphone to then turn it on mute. In other words, you don't take a lamp and light it and then hide it put it under a bed or under a basket, but you, but you set it out so that everyone can see it. And this is what Jesus is saying. There's something happening now within the kingdom of God with what Jesus is saying and teaching so that you understand, so that you get greater insight, so that you realize the things that God has been doing that you might not know about or might have been hidden to you. In other words, the kingdom of God and God's people are no longer keeping secrets. Jesus is being clear. Jesus is using parables to further illustrate. Jesus is bringing greater accuracy to what people may have thought or may not have known. Whatever is hidden before is now being disclosed. We're getting clarity. As if we were living within a dark room, Jesus is turning on a light so that we can see, so that we can perceive and understand Matthew's gospel and chapter 5 says this very same thing about a lamp, but it, it adds something I want you to see. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it out on its stand, and here it is, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So the lamp gives light to everyone and to everything. Now, I've gotten to a place in my own life where going out to dinner can be a little challenging if I don't have my reading glasses on and it's time to look at the menu. And so it's not unusual for me and maybe for you too to pull out a cell phone, to turn on the flashlight and to get a little more light on the menu so that you can just read it and see it when you couldn't before. And so sometimes when we're in a kind of a, a dark place, we need more light. But I'd offer you this, that we also need better light. When I'm trying to match socks or pull out two socks out of the drawer and I'm not sure if they're both black or one's black and one's blue or they're both blue like I'm, I'm looking at it and I can't tell uh, so I don't just need more light in that situation I need better light so it's normal for me to walk over to the window where the natural light is coming through and I hold up the socks and I can see I can see oh, oh that's okay one is black one is blue you know you go back and you you, you find the socks that match what Jesus is saying is there's not only more light in what he's saying, but there's a better light. There's a more true light 
in the way that he's talking about God, a way he's talking about creation, the way he's talking about one another, mankind, that give us greater insight into what he's doing. There's a better light and a better light reveals what is true. The kingdom of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ is the true and better light in which we see, in which we see one another, see the world, things begin to make sense. We get a sense of what God is doing at that point. First Corinthians chapter four, verse five says that he will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. So the kind of light that Jesus is talking about illuminates the kind of light that Jesus is talking about is not just a light where we see him more clearly. It's not just the light source that we see, but Jesus actually shines light on everything. Everything else becomes something that we can better see, better understand, even hearts, motives. There's something happening here that Jesus says that he's illuminating as he speaks, as he shares about the kingdom of God in the way that he is. Mark chapter four, verse 25. And here's that kind of tricky, cryptic thing that Jesus is offering. It says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What is he saying about having more or things being taken from you? Jesus says this, to the level that each person pays attention to what Jesus is saying is the level in which they will benefit. To the level that you pay, pay attention, to the level that you understand and gain insight into what Jesus is saying is to the level that you will benefit and be blessed. If we receive what Jesus is saying as light, as real insight, then there will be more light for us. But if we stay on the surface, if we allow the words of Jesus, if we allow the stories of Jesus, if we allow the parables of Jesus just to kind of roll off our back, then, then what we have, we will even lose. That there will be even less for us. Because what I mean by that, there'll be even less for us because everything tends to move towards decay. Everything, everything in our life is moving towards a path of breaking down, winding down, disorder, not order. And so in order for things even to maintain the way they are, in order for things to improve, you've got to pour in energy. You have to have some other source come and give it energy to maintain it, to give it something more. Because if things just stay the way they are, we move from order to disorder. We move from light to further darkness. We, our lives are headed that way. There is no one treading water. Everyone is either drifting or we're swimming against it. And this is what Jesus is trying to help us understand, that if we don't receive the things that Jesus is offering us, if the soil of our hearts are unconcerned, if the soil of our hearts are distracted, or, or if there's a shallowness, right, to what we're experiencing, then we can miss the light that Jesus is offering and experience further darkness, further darkness. Jesus, as the light of the world, he continues this type of illumination so that we can know ourselves, know God. And if, if we see Jesus as that, he brings further revelation to us. But if we reject Jesus and what he says and the light that he offers, then we experience desolation, a greater degree of darkness. John's gospel highlights this. John says this, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
And John recognizes this, and Jesus is standing before the disciples and before this audience talking about a lamp on a lampstand. Don't miss this because he doesn't want you to miss it. He's saying now is the time where things that were hidden, where things that were a mystery, where things that might have been just for a few to know in secret, those things are going public. And what I'm telling you may sound new and may sound different, but it's true and it's for you and it's for everyone. And so Jesus says, so listen, don't miss this. I don't want anyone to be left out. Here is hard in that. The warning is this. The warning is if you, if you, if you aren't seeing Jesus as the kingdom of God, then you are living with a lesser light. You're not living with the fullness of what is true, what would be revealed. You're not living with the full insights of who God is and, and what God is really doing. But if we really listen, if, if we really hear what Jesus is saying, then Jesus will actually take us even further that there's a depth to the things that he's saying, the things that he's teaching, that you will swim and swim and swim down and not get to the bottom of it. It's that rich. So Mark's gospel links kind of this seed parable that we opened with last week and these next two smaller parables that are really, really more like metaphors for the kingdom of God. And he, he links these two seed illustrations with the lamp and the light saying like, I'm showing you something. Perceive it, hear it, listen to it, receive. He wants to reveal so much more to us. And so let's look at Mark chapter four. And as we do, I want to, these two parables, they're simple. And at first glance, they may seem overly simplistic where we just kind of nod and agree. But I'm asking that God show us something even more today that might help us understand the depth of what Jesus is trying to uh, give us insight into. So Jesus said this in verse 26 of Mark four. This is what he said. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Also soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So this short parable, on the surface, it's this. The farmer doesn't seem to do very much to make the seed grow. He, he plants it, and then it, it seems to have a life unto itself. But there's more happening as Jesus is talking about this with the audience's day. Jesus' audience would have had an ear for the Old Testament. Many of them would have known the Old Testament verbatim. And there's this moment where Jesus talks about the, the sickle and the harvest that would have taken the listeners around Jesus back to Joel, the prophet Joel in Joel chapter three. And Joel writes this in verse 13. He says, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Now what Joel was talking about was a moment in Israel's future, this future day where the fortunes of Israel would be restored, where God would, would pour out his spirit on his people, where God would also kind of gather the nations and bring a rightful judgment on all the injustices that had been uh, administered, especially towards God's people. And so it was this, this day of culmination. It was deep within the people, the Israelites' expectation that there would be a day where God's kingdom would come in full. It would be a harvest. There would be a sickle. And, and 
and the Messiah would usher that in. This long-awaited Messiah would bring a restoration to Israel. No longer would they be subservient to other entities and other powers and other governments. And so all of the suffering would be, remo re would be removed. And Israel would return to this place of triumph and glory. That's what the Israelites understood the kingdom of God to be. That when the kingdom of God comes, it'll be like that. It'll be a parade. It'll be victory. It'll be a triumph. And what Jesus is saying is something very different. He said the, the kingdom of God is going to come like a seed. And so for the Israelites listening, the kingdom of God was something that was coming in the future. The kingdom of God wasn't, going to, it wasn't something that you could experience now because look, Rome is still the oppressor. Israel is still suffering. And Jesus says, it's, it's, it's coming and it's here, the kingdom of God, but it's not like you thought it was. It's different. The kingdom of God is greater. It's broader. It's deeper than just the restoration of Israel or, or judgment. But the kingdom of God is life itself. It's life. It's, it's what you see in, in the laying down and the getting up. It's what you see in the, the sowing and the fruitfulness and the harvest. It, it's all of these things. It's in the day, it's in the night, the kingdom of God. All of these things bring out things that God has designed and positioned to give you a reference to think about him and what he's doing. This is what we see. Christianity isn't just a possible way to think about God and yourself and life. Christianity is the true way it's the true light. Christianity is the way, the best way to understand all of life. Colossians 1.16 highlights this later on as Paul writes about the ministry and work and person of Jesus. He says this, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. What Jesus is saying, even in this short parable, is day, night, work, rest, sowing, planting, harvesting, all of it. All of it is a design within God's creation to reveal to you the rhythms and the principles of the kingdom that ultimately point towards Jesus. All of it. It's, it's in birth and life and death and renewal. Now, interesting too, this, the seed and the man are doing similar things in this short parable. Right? The seed goes down, the man lays down. The seed sprouts, the man rises. That word rise up or get up is the same Hebrew word where we get the word resurrection. Jesus is loading even this short parable with a with kind of a signpost about rising up, about going down, about life coming out and being born. Like he's talking about something so important and significant, but he tells it in such a way that it would travel, that it would get into our hearts, that we would ponder it, that we would think on this for a while. Birth, life, death, renewal. They're all signposts of Jesus' own life and death and resurrection. The seed goes down and it comes up. The man goes down and he comes up. All of life is connected and meant, all of it is to point towards something greater, to him, 
by whom all of it was made, for whom all of it was made. Look at this next parable. If we have the seed that's kind of forming within the ground, growing, sprouting, we have another illustration here that Jesus gives us in verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So maybe you've heard this mustard seed parable before. And, and the surface principle would be this. Well, small things can become big things. Right? We see that happening throughout the, the, the biblical truths and the principles of God, that small things, no matter how small they are, they can become big things. But I want to look at this parable a little closer. I want you to see something else this morning, I hope. Luke chapter 13 records this parable as well. Let me read it to you one more time as Luke presents it to us. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. Now again, know that the audience of Jesus' day, Israelites, Jews, were kind of predisposed to think of themselves in a certain way. And one of the favorite illustrations that they thought of themselves within the work of God, of what God would do, was the cedars of Lebanon. Now these cedars were stately and majestic trees. And they were the preferred image by the Pharisees and others to think about who they were in relationship to creation and who they were kind of in relationship to God, that they were the cedars of Lebanon. And Solomon used these cedars in, in their, uh, to build the temple. And so they had this really special position. And Ezekiel takes the very image of these cedar trees and he talks about what God would do in Israel and he uses these cedar trees as an illustration of who they would be. Now listen to some of the similarities that you hear in Jesus' own parable about the mustard seed and again here in Ezekiel chapter 17 verse 23 said, on the high mountain of Israel I will plant it that it may bring forth boughs and bear fruit and become a stately cedar and listen to this, and the birds of every kind will nest under it, and they will nest in the shade of its branches. So what Israel often thought of itself is when God's kingdom comes, they will be like cedars of Lebanon whose branches provide shade for the nations. You can hear that on top of Jerusalem, on top of the mountain. They will be prestigious and stately. Jesus then says, what shall I say the kingdom is like? And what the audience is listening for is something quite stately, something majestic. And what Jesus says is this. Jesus uses the mustard seed. Instead, he says a mustard plant, which was a common weed. It was basic. But more than that, it was a forbidden plant within a domestic garden. And rabbis went back into the Old Testament and they looked at things in which they believed that God had created kind of from confusion and chaos, God was creating order and structure within God's people. And so 
the rabbis took certain passages about the way things should be grown and the way things should not be sewn together and things being separate. And they, re- and they believed that there was a certain kind of order and a certain separateness to even how you grew your vegetables. Yet the mustard seed was something that was forbidden. It was, it was looked at as too basic and unclean. And when you realize this, is that the reason why they didn't want you to grow mustard in your domestic garden is it took over everything else. It grew into all the other vegetables. Now, a philosopher, Pliny, a Roman philosopher from the the first century, highlights this very idea. Let me show you this, what he said almost 2,000 years ago. With its pungent taste and fiery effect, mustard is extremely beneficial for health. If it grows, uh, it grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But, on the other hand, When it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. Now, I didn't know all this about a mustard plant, but the seeds are are unique, and it gives you insight to maybe what Jesus is saying. Other things, the mustard plant, the seeds germinate quickly. And so out of all the seed plants, uh, it produces its seeds first, and they fall and are scattered in the garden. Um, When the seeds get wet because of the rain, they get sticky. And so they attach themselves to birds and to animals. And so they they, they travel, they spread faster. And in periods of drought, uh, these seeds, mustard seeds are hardy. They, They can survive for years with little precipitation. And when rain does come, they're the first to recover. And so what Jesus is saying is when he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, who a man planted in his garden, Jesus is saying, it's not this idea of stately cedars. That's not what he's using here. Jesus comes back and he actually uses a rabbinically unclean weed to talk about the kingdom of God. And it wasn't this, it wasn't the image of a mustard seed just going from small to big. What Jesus is saying is when this gets planted, it will take over. It'll be everywhere you won't be able to stop it. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what's even subversive within this parable is the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of God that Jesus is providing light and clarity for will be something that begins to move and expand and take over. And so when you see these two parables about this seed that has this life within it that grows and produces, even if the farmer is asleep and this mustard seed that's expanding, what he's saying is this kind of backwater Galilean ministry that everybody else is evaluating and judging right now, you may think it's not the kingdom of God, but it's seed time. There are seeds being planted. There are things being sown. These small beginnings, these basic things that God is using things that are often avoided, these are the things that will grow and change the world. These are the things that will grow and expand. You know, we see the writers of the New Testament taking this very idea forward, this idea of seeds and growth and expansion, this growing power of the kingdom. Acts chapter 19, 20 says this, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 1 Peter 1.23, for you have not been born again, for you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable one, through the living and enduring word of God. 
1 Thessalonians 1.5, the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with, with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. There's something happening, Jesus says. There's something ongoing. There's something persisting. There's something that's going to happen in time. It starts small, but it will continue to grow and will continue to expand. The house I grew up in, I lived there most of my life, and it, it was Interesting now to kind of look back and to notice changes in the yard, uh, the way the trees have grown, uh, the way the things have matured at different points. If, you'd, if I'd not been there for a while, you know, what was small is now covering, you know, a side of the house. But there's something I noticed too about the driveway. When we moved in, uh, we would play basketball in the driveway and it was clean and poured and, sm and smooth. But the trees around it, the trees in the yard over time, as they have grown, I've noticed this about the driveway. It's uneven. Right? Different parts of the driveway are now, you know, kind of leaning one way or broken, cracked. This is poured, cured concrete, right? It's hard stuff, but a seed planted years ago has grown. And now what is full of life is breaking through that which is dead, hard. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the Christian hope, is that you and I would hear Jesus' own words when he says the kingdom of God is within you. It's in you. And by the presence of Christ, there's a power that comes into our life that begins to move and push into the hidden areas and the recesses. And all of a sudden, if, if there's a crack, right? If, if there's just a crack in your life, a weakness that might give way for the grace of God to drop a seed into you, into your heart, that it would, you would hear it, you would see it, you would believe it for what it is, there would be a new power inside of you, a, a, something different than you'd ever experienced before, a, a life source filled with potential, whether you're mindful of it or not, growing shaping things. And this is what the Christian gets to experience, that at the basic level, at the foundational level of our life, it's been changed and wrecked because the seed that has come in is moving and shaping and forming and doing powerful things inside of us. Listen, being a Christian is to have this kind of below the surface experience where the Word of God, where Christ himself comes and dwells and his presence begins to shape and change and provide new life inside of you. If you want to know if you're a Christian, ask yourself, am I growing? Is, are there things about Christianity in concepts that are now becoming realities for you? In other words, the thoughts that you have about the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, those concepts are, are actually now becoming ways in which you understand yourself, God, the world. And, and in fact, like as you, as, you, as you grow as a Christian, these things, these grand concepts and ideas actually become indispensable to you. Like you can't understand, you can't see the world without these things about death and life and renewal and rising up and the resurrection. And, and all of these things begin to kind of form the way. And, they, and as they do, they take us further in. We see more. And so right now as a Christian, because there's a life 
inside of you, a power, a presence inside of you. Like you worry less because the greatest thing that has ever happened has already happened. The greatest thing that could ever happen, what Christ did on the cross and the empty tomb defines you more than any circumstance that you're going through right now. You, you forgive people more because more than what people have done to you is what Christ has done for you. These things begin to shape and move and they change who we are. And gradually, bit by bit, you become more alive, more free, more human. In this work of God, as the, as the seed rises up, it, it takes you as well. It takes you up as well. When God's love gets inside of you, it grows and it just, it takes you upward. The warning is this. If you're looking for God to do something kind of in a, in a blaze, in a earthquake or a lightning boat, bolt kind of big event moment, like if, if that's what you're hoping that God will do is just kind of do something kind of a once and for all thing in your life. Can I tell you that God wants to work slowly and steadily in your entire life? God wants all of you, not just in a moment, but God wants to have his word, his life, his presence, his power kind of begin to have a chance to be expressed in every recess, in every wrinkle, in every area of your life. God wants to work on you for a lifetime. He wants to grow slowly and touch the things that are hidden, the thoughts, the wounds, the weak areas. He wants all of you. If you miss Jesus, you miss it all. You miss everything. But if you, if you get Jesus, if you, if you hear, if you see Jesus for who he is, you, you get everything. You get his future secured. You get his identity as a son or daughter beloved you get his righteousness, you get his life, you get his power, you get his presence. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. But if you get him, if you see him for what he's offering, for what he's sharing, for what he's revealing to us about himself, the God, us, you get it all. You can leave utterly different today if, if you allow the, the seed to kind of find its way into the recess of your heart, some place where it has a chance to sprout and grow. You can leave here change because you leave here with a new power, a new source within you. And I love the way that Jesus didn't make the kingdom uh, inaccessible just to those that were powerful or, or influential, just for the nobility. Like, Jesus made the kingdom accessible through little things call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. God did not require us to move mountains to get to heaven, but tells us this, that it's a seed so small of faith that moves mountains. What would it be like today to leave here changed. To begin to trust in the smallest of ways who Jesus says he is. That he died on the cross for your sins. That he loves you more than you know. That there is a purpose to this world and there are things that God is doing that are hidden to you right now, but in time you would see and understand 
the work of God and the power of God and the plans of God moving in and through your life more and more. If that's, if that's you, if that's what you want today, it's, it's simple. It's a call, it's a prayer, it's an ask. And then the seed comes in and it has its own life source that begins to change things in your life, change the world. And it has. Consider this. When Jesus died on the cross and the resurrection, there was a handful of believers. In about 70 years, Rome, the official capital was of, of the world at that point, was recognizing Christianity as an issue. 300 years A.D., Christianity was the sore. It, it was the national accepted faith at that point. It, it, it was moving, changing. And now we're hearing stories at places that have been untouched almost by time. In the Himalayas, at thousands of feet elevation, people are being baptized. In places in the world that you could only hike to, that you could only walk to. Like, it, it's, it's ongoing. And it can happen in our own hearts, too, to change us right where we are. To connect us to this greater and bigger thing that God is doing. Expansive, deep, rich. Let's pray. God, I pray that for us this morning that we would find ourselves ready uh, if there was a way to prepare our hearts for you to just touch them, to drop something as small as a mustard seed into our lives. God, we ask that you would. And to make these next few moments an opportunity just to pray and say, Jesus, help me believe. Help me see it. Help me trust you that your life, that your ministry, that your death, that the empty tomb, all of it, all of it was so that I could experience a new power, a new beginning, a new start. And God, if we would, by faith, just call upon you, even in the smallest of ways, there would be a work of your grace that would begin to move in our lives, that it would begin to grow in our lives, that it would begin to change us so that maybe years from now we would look back at this day and we could see just how different we've become, how much we've grown, what you've done of all the things that you've shown us since, how we've seen more, gone deeper, heard things. God, we each need a fresh work this morning. We each need an expression of your mercy again today. And I pray that you would just faithfully cultivate our hearts, touch our hearts this morning, maybe in those places that hurt, the wounds, the weaknesses, where we really need you, where most of our prayers come from. God, that you would do something there, maybe small, but powerful. So Holy Spirit, take this time to just draw our attention to Jesus that we might fix our eyes upon him, move towards him, grow in his likeness towards him. We pray this in his name.